Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 11. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight to Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who were gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira, named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When our owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they were severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them into the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas, He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, 
Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Good evening, I'm Jeff, the pastor of Union Church. Great to see you tonight. How do you make friends at Union Church? Right, it's the start of a new semester, uh, you might be new here, uh, you might be asking that question, how do I get to know people, how do I make friends here? Uh, one solution might be to try and find the people here at Uni Church who like the stuff that you like, uh, people who are kind of like you. Uh, so, you know, find the movie crowd or the beach crowd or the sports crowd. Uh, kind of like at O'Day on Friday, I saw that there was a Harry Potter society, if you just kind of find the Harry Potter fans within Unichurch, you'd kind of find your gang. That, that kind of works, uh, but surely there's something more. How do I make those kind of deep friendships that last? Uh, the kind of friendships where I know that they love me and I love them and we, we share our joys and our fears uh, and the hard times. How do I make Christian friends like that? Uh, Well, Philippians 1 is not a relationship manual, uh, but as it was read, did you notice the relationship that was there? Uh, The person writing the letter and the people receiving the letter have that kind of deep friendship. Have a look uh, there in verse 7. Paul is the guy writing it. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And then verse 8, he says, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Uh, They have this kind of deep relationship uh, where they love one another. He wants to be with them and and they want to be able to help him and be together. Uh, They're a little bit like Buzz and Woody, 
um, at the end of Toy Story, not at the start. Uh, but at the end, that kind of deep friendship where they can count on each other. So our question is, where does that kind of relationship come from? Uh, well, it comes from their partnership in the gospel. It's there in verse 5, uh, and that's the thing that we're going to unpack as we walk through uh, this passage tonight. We're going to look at it from three perspectives. Uh, partners from the first day, partners until now, and partners to the end. Partners from the first day, partners until now, partners to the end. So first up, partners from the first day. Uh, their partnership starts when Paul uh, comes into the city of Philippi and uh, tells the Philippians about Jesus and they receive the gospel. They become partners in the blessings of the gospel. Uh, we read about that uh, in Acts. Uh, he, he comes to this city. Uh, Philippi is one of the main cities of Macedonia uh, in modern-day Greece. Here's a map. And Philippi is at the top there. And uh, it was kind of... It's there kind of in modern-day Greece, but its heart was Roman. Uh, Rome, back in the first century, had conquered the whole Mediterranean area, and so all of these places around uh, were subjects of Rome, but not Philippi, not Philippi. What happened was this, here's the story. The Emperor Octavian had fought like a very important battle and just happened to be at Philippi, and so when he finally became Caesar, uh, he decided to celebrate by making Philippi an official Roman colony. And that meant that essentially they were kind of part of Rome. Uh, they had all the privileges of uh, living in Rome. They didn't pay uh, tribute to Rome. They didn't have a governor over them. They were proud and free, like this kind of mini Rome uh, over there in Greece. And into that city, uh, Paul comes with this big news, the gospel. The news uh, that Octavian isn't the king, and Caesar isn't the king, but Jesus Christ is the king. A king who died and rose and brings people back to God. And he tells that to the Philippians, and they believe. Uh, Acts says about Lydia, that the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. They respond. They go from being citizens of Rome to citizens of heaven. And that's why Paul, as he writes his letter back to this city uh, where they've responded to his message, uh, the message of Jesus, uh, he addresses the letter to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Uh, he sees them as people who are in Christ. And in Christ, God sees them as holy, his holy people. Uh, that's kind of Old Testament language. It comes from the way the Old Testament describes uh, the nation of Israel as the people of God. Uh, holy just means special, set apart. And, and that's what Israel were. They were one nation chosen out of all the nations to belong to God. And now that is the church here in Philippi. Uh, this group of people that God has called and chosen to belong to him. Uh, and it's kind of a random crowd, isn't it? Firstly, it's, it's Lydia, the purple cloth dealer, probably very wealthy, uh, all the way through uh, to the Roman jailer 
and his family. And that's why uh, making friends at uni church isn't as simple as finding someone who likes the same stuff that you like. Uh, because we're not actually pulled together because we all are kind of somehow into the same thing. We're all into Rocket League, uh, we, we all love Instagram. Like, that's not our thing, right? Uh, we're kind of drawn together as, as students, but even then, not all of us are students. No, Jesus is at the centre of our life together. We're drawn together as one people because uh, we want to know Christ because of what Christ has done, uh, because we're partners in the blessings of the gospel. Uh, In verse 6, Paul says uh, about the Philippians that the Lord has begun a good work in you. He's begun a good work in you. They are partners from the first day, partners in what God has done for them. So partners from the first day, but also partners until now. Uh, Paul launches into his letter with this overwhelming thanksgiving there. Uh, Verses 3 to 8 kind of capture this. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. I always pray with joy. Why? Why so much uh, joyful thanks uh, to God? Well... Uh, it's because of their partnership. Uh, let's read on. I always pray with joy because, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So from becoming Christians uh, right up until now, uh, Paul says they've been partners with him in the gospel. Uh, and what he means is uh, they're partners with him in sharing the gospel, in spreading the gospel out, So verse 7 explains what this looks like. He says, uh, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, uh, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. There in verse 7, it's actually the same partnership word uh, that we get in verse 5. They don't just share in God's grace, it says that they're partners with Paul partners with Paul in this grace. And the grace here is gospel work. Uh, For Paul, it is a monumental privilege to be able to share the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus. He thinks that that is a gift from God, that he even gets to do that. And he says that the Philippians are partners in that. They're like, uh, co-owners of a startup company, right? They're just in it together in every part. And you kind of see that in action. Uh, we find out later on that Paul is writing the letter of Philippians from jail. He's in prison. And part of the reason that he's writing to the Philippians is to thank them, to thank them for sending uh, Epaphroditus to come and help and to thank them for, for sending a gift, for sending some money to sustain him. Uh, They're partners with him, even when he's in chains. Uh, Or in Acts, we read about how uh, Paul was hauled before the Roman officials and kind of had to defend the the gospel to uh, the officials there in Philippi. And the Philippian church are there with him, 
supporting him, partners with him. Lydia says, come to my house, make, make my house your base, let's do this. Let's get to work spreading the gospel. And did you notice that it's all of them? I don't know if you noticed, as it was read out, uh, eight times in the first eight verses, Paul uses the word all. All, uh, every, always, all of you. Uh, The partnership is something that has united them. It's drawn them together as a church uh, and with Paul. And that makes sense, right? Uh, Doing something together does kind of create bonds for us. Um, But this is way more kind of bonding than just being on a netball team uh, with someone, right? Uh, This is uh, something of eternal significance. Uh, To share the gospel, the news of God's wonderful mercy to a lost world, to hold that out to others. God's grace has come to Paul and the Philippians to join them together in that work, to spread that wonderful message. And it makes him so thankful. So thankful. So here's the question for us. Uh, Do you thank God for the Christian brothers and sisters that he has placed around you? If you're a Christian, uh, I think that we should be doing that. Thanking God uh, for others that he's drawn uh, in beside us as partners in the work of the gospel. If you're on a kids' ministry team um, here at St Matthew's, uh, then thank God for that team. If you're part of the Christian Union on campus, uh, thank God for that group of brothers and sisters uh, from across Perth that God has drawn together uh, to stand for Jesus. Uh, We should be people who are quick to thank God for that. So they've been partners from the first day, uh, partners in the blessings of the gospel, uh, partners until now, uh, partners in the work of the gospel, and now uh, partners to the end. Uh, The start of this letter doesn't just think about how they began or kind of what they've been doing now. Uh, The focus is actually on the end. Uh, You see it there in verse 6, where Paul explains his confidence. He says, being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Right? Uh, That is the end point, the day of Christ. That's what he has in mind. Um, He's referring to uh, to Jesus' promise that one day he'll return, just as he came once, uh, one day he'll return to establish his kingdom forever. And it says, uh, he says that on that day he will judge the wicked, and put an end to evil, and uh, wipe every tear away from every eye uh, of his people. And it's a day that marks the end of the age, the end of this age, and the beginning of uh, God's new creation. Kind of the the same way that Christians divide history into BC and AD, because uh, the first coming of Jesus just splits history in two because it's so important. Uh, But the day of Christ is even more decisive than that because uh, it'll be a whole another calendar, a whole new creation started. And so Paul's confidence 
is in God carrying on their trust in Jesus until that day. He thinks if God has started them off, then he will carry them through. Uh, he's not like you guys with your assignments, right? Uh, you know, that feeling when you get halfway through and you think, I've probably got most of the marks. Uh, and you hit submit and you go to the beach. Um, God is not like that. He's faithful, right? He will finish what he started. And so all through this letter, uh, Paul has that end in view. Uh, They're partners to the end. And it's not just kind of an abstract idea that they're partners to the end. No, uh, Paul prays for them. He thinks the thing that I need to do now uh, to, to partner with the Philippians all the way to the end is to pray for them. Uh, so let's dig into that a bit. There from verse 9. He says, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So again, that is uh, the end point in view, that they would stand pure and blameless, trusting in Jesus, being washed clean by him on that last day. But I think it's really good to unpack the logic uh, of, this, of this prayer because it's like there's a series of dominoes here, this, this chain reaction of things that will help the Philippians to stand until the last day. Uh, it's got knowledge, uh, love and then knowledge and then fruit. So uh, it starts with love. He prays that your love may abound more and more. Now, he doesn't say... Uh, what it is that they're meant to love. He just says, more love, right? Uh, but I think that's because he doesn't want to limit it. He, he wants them to love God more. He wants them to love each other more and more. He wants it overflowing. Uh, he wants them to love in the same way that my daughter, Percy, who's four, uh, the same way that she uh, fills up her cup at the dinner table. She just kind of, she pours the jug until it reaches the top and then she just hangs it there, just like... Shh abounding more and more (laughs) over the table. That's how they're meant to love, more and more, without stopping. But it's not just like an aimless love, right? It's it's not just an an emotion. Uh, His prayer is that their love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. See, Paul wants them to know God better. And for that knowledge to drive their love in the right direction, uh, he wants them to have that depth of insight, that discernment, uh, to know that some things please God and some things don't. Uh, He wants them to be able, uh, it says, to discern what is best. Uh, Literally, it says, so that you might recognise the better value. Uh, What is better value? Uh, Like when you go to the shops and there's a three-pack for $5 and an 11-pack for $19 and you have to work out what is the better value and half of you are like, Jeff, that is so easy. (laughs) And half of you are like, well, give me a minute. I can work this out. You can talk to me afterwards if you need to work out if it's the first or the second. But that does have an answer, right? The, the better value there is actually obvious, if you've got a calculator. Um, 
But what's the better value for relationships? Right? What, what equates to better value in how I spend my time? And better value in terms of what? Right? What's the measure of what is better value? Well, uh, Paul's prayer has that answer too. He says, so that you may be able to discern what is best, the, the better value, and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through, Christ, through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. They're the measures, right? Uh, what will grow the fruit of righteousness in us? What is it that will bring glory to God? Those are the things of the better value. Uh, What will make the Philippians more like Christ? More selfless, more generous. Paul wants them to be able to work out uh, what will bring that glory to God. And so he prays. He prays that they would have love, love for God, that abounds in knowledge so that that fruit would grow. Now, uh, if you're a student uh, in particular, you've got a bunch of big decisions ahead of you. Uh, You will need that kind of uh, love and knowledge uh, so that uh, your life bears fruit right up until the day of Christ. But it's not just students, it's actually everyone. Every day we're making decisions that have an impact on us, that have an impact on our our character, on our godliness. And so we ought to pray like Paul prays, that we would love more and that would go with increasing knowledge of what pleases God and that would spill out uh, in our lives uh, in the, the fruit of righteousness. With the aim of standing firm on the day of Christ, just like the Philippians. And notice that we shouldn't just pray this for ourselves. Uh, We should pray it for each other. Paul prays for his friends, his partners, the Philippians. He has them in his heart and so he prays for them that they would stand to the end, to the final day. Partners to the end. I think uh, we should pray for our friends like that. Uh, I think particularly as a kind of like random but I think really important moment, if you're a groomsman or a bridesmaid, then you should pray like that uh, for your friend who's getting married. If you're planning a bucks party or hen's night, surely there should be some moment, if you're a Christian, if you want that for your Christian brother or sister, surely there should be a moment where you pray for them like this. Don't just kind of follow along with the world's assumption of what a a friend thing to do is at a buck's night or a hen's night. Don't just go out and get boozed, right? Let's pray for them. If they are Christian brothers and sisters, uh, this is what Christians do for their friends. They pray that they would reach the end. And if they're getting married, they're going to need the fruit of righteousness in spades, so you should pray. So that's how Paul starts his letter to the Philippians. Partners from the first day, partners until now, partners to the end.
And as we start out here, a new semester here at Uni Church, I want to tell you that that is how you make friends at Uni Church. Uh, it's not a quick and easy solution. Uh, if you're brand new and don't know, don't know anyone, uh, it's not uh, kind of click your fingers and you've, you've got a crowd, but it is the way you make deep and true and lasting friendships. You don't make friends by focusing on friends. That's a bit of a trick, right? You don't go around like the Terminator, like must find friends. Because that's, like, that's way too intense, right? And that makes the, the friend the, the object, the thing that you're investing everything in and, and relying on. No, instead, I want to invite you to become with us a partner in the gospel. Jesus Christ is is at the centre of our existence. He's the reason we exist. Uh, He's the reason we get together. So join us as a partner, someone who receives the blessings of Jesus, Uh, the forgiveness, the eternal life that Jesus brings. If you're here tonight and you don't know how it is that Jesus brings forgiveness and eternal life, we would love you to be a partner with us in that. I'd love you to come down the front, chat with me afterwards. Uh, and if, you're, if you know that you're a partner in belonging to Jesus, then why not join us as a partner in sharing the gospel with others? The same kind of partnership that Paul and the Philippians had in defending and confirming the gospel, talking to uh, whoever would listen about the Lord Jesus. We're going to be doing that together all through this year. Um, in a few weeks, we'll be co-hosting a Trinity Theological College uh, mission team uh, with the Christian Union. We'll be doing that together. Uh, there'll be ways to get involved in that. Uh, later in the year, we'll run Christianity Explored. Uh, we'll run a, a kids' uh, holiday club, sharing the, the gospel with, with kids and the community. Will you get on board with that? Be a partner in those things. And will you be a partner with us in prayer as we pray for each other to reach the end? Will you ask God to grow uh, your uni church friends in love and knowledge and fruit all the way through to when Christ returns? Uh, we would love more friends like that at uni church. We'd love you to join us in the joys and privileges, and the friendship that comes from being partners in the gospel.